Welcome to The Modern Lawyer, a podcast about the changes and growth in the modern legal industry. I'm your host, Anand Upadhyay. Law is a professional services industry. In most situations, the client dictates. They're the ones who come to attorneys with a problem to solve, and our priorities as attorneys flow from that. Our guest today, Jason Barnwell, is an assistant general counsel at Microsoft. In that role, he leads law firm engagement strategy as well as legal operations. He's also an influential speaker and writer in matters involving the legal industry. My work is focused on innovation and operational excellence and applying that to the delivery of legal services to Microsoft. Um, To do that, I lead a legal business operations and strategy team, and we are focused on providing processes and tools that support our legal practitioners and their engagement with outside counsel. Um, One thing that's been really interesting for me is I've I've only recently stepped into leading the legal operations role. Before that, I was more focused on law firm engagement strategy, but I'm finding that bringing these two together is being, it's really giving me a lot of uh, opportunities to do some interesting things and find synergies between the two. Because if you, if you think about how you deliver legal services, it relies on a, a value chain that needs outside counsel and finding ways to integrate the workflow with outside counsel with our internal folks, I think is really going to help us innovate more quickly and pull great ideas from our partners and and figure out how we deliver more value to our customer, which is Microsoft. Jason, I think that's an excellent introduction to what we're going to cover today. And I think the two kind of parts of your role uh, interrelated as they may be are, you know, operations and then, um, you know, kind of outside counsel, law firm engagement strategies. More large companies are investing in legal operations to streamline their legal representation. Over the last five plus years, there's been increasing investment from large companies as well as law firms in legal operations. When you are a cost center, you need to think deeply about what is the value that you're offering for the resources that are are given to you. And legal operations can be a fulcrum You know, it can get you leverage on the great talent that you have and the relationships that you have with with your outside counsel partners, with the the smart folks that you hire to deliver legal work to your your customer. Uh, So I think that that has driven a lot of interest uh, in legal operations. We've also seen some shifting in the balance between uh, delivering legal services with outside counsel versus in-house talent. And as you've seen some organizations shift some of that work that they historically uh, relied on outside counsel to in-house, then you want to start having an operational excellence overlay so that those people are doing their best work and that they are you know, really focusing their time and efforts on the things that deliver the most value to the customer. And so I think there's a confluence of things that have happened that have seen uh, the rise of, of legal operations. I also suspect that as technology becomes more of an underpinning of how we do our work, having having an organization, uh, you know, somebody who can really focus on how you bring the best of that 
to how you do your work is it's just more and more important because many of the legal practitioners, they don't always have the time to really focus on what is new and how you weave together your value chain. And so having a dedicated discipline that can really figure out how to do that ends up being a force multiplier. In the next part of the conversation, Jason advances the metaphor of architects versus bricklayers in thinking about key roles that outside counsel can play. So when I really talk about bricklayers, I'm, I'm talking about people who, who really stop at being a technician, at being the person who, who does what they are told according to somebody else's plan. And I distinguish that from an architect who typically provides strategic advising, who really helps figure out what is the big picture look like? And how do we build a solution that meets a customer's needs that takes into account so many of the aspects that they care about? And I, so I was a practicing attorney. And when I look back on my practice, I, I really see that there are many times where if I'm, if I'm really honest with myself, a customer came to me and made an ask and I faithfully served that ask. And I wasn't curious enough about what were they really trying to accomplish? What was the bigger picture that was at play? And so a lot of what I'm trying to do is activate people to think a little bit differently about how they will serve their customers. And a lot of that, you know, really starts from a deep empathy and trying to understand what is the bigger picture that my customer is trying to solve. To be clear, this is all built on being an exceptional technician too, because if you have poor technical skills, you can't really build a cathedral, right? Like if the walls fall in on themselves because the, the bricklaying function is, is not solid, then you, you really do have a problem. But I'm really trying to get people to look a little bit beyond that. You know, I, so I built the wall, but what is what is the bigger context that uh, is, is going to be served by what I'm doing? And so that's, that's a metaphor that I'm trying to uh, evangelize very quietly to start seeing if it works and lands. But that's that's the underpinning of it. It may not be enough to just complete discrete tasks. The law firms that become invaluable and stand out as trusted advisors take time to understand a client, learn their vision, and provide legal services that help them implement that vision within their business model. One of the things that we do is we, so we're, we have a strategic partner program. And so we have panel firms that we really try to bring along as our strategic advisors. And we do a couple of things that we try to, to move this forward. One is that we provide more access to our business. So we host things like trusted advisor forms where we bring them in and we teach them about what we're up to and we give them a look down the road. And as part of that, we ask them to tell us what they're seeing and what we should do and how we might change our approach to, to drive the business outcomes that we seek. The other thing that we're doing is we are changing the way that we buy legal services to try to create more openings for creativity. And so the goal is to get people out of the mode of we ask you the same question twice, you give us the same answer twice, and we pay you twice. We want to see them bringing efficiency into the delivery of legal services. So it's interesting because so we have strategic work, but we also have more foundation level work. And even that requires a deep understanding of our business. So if you're doing our deal work, our commercial work, some of that may look 
similar. Like there may be patterns that run through that. And so it may not be in every instance, the most strategic work from a, a complexity standpoint. However, it is very much informed by the context of what's happening in our industry. It, you know, the, the past that we have and the, the, the regulatory and compliance frameworks that we exist in flavor all of that work. So even the things that tend to be a little bit more conventional and foundational for us require a deeper understanding of, of you know, where we come from and what we're trying to accomplish. And I would argue that even for, especially for our work that in many instances um, ends to have, or ends up having repetitious uh, aspects to it, it's even more important to be an architect in those instances because you can drive great efficiencies if you come up with a better way to do that process. Because if we're doing it at scale, then you're going to get fantastic efficiencies on that scale and you can bring that back to us as a customer and a client. I think it's just brilliant to bring in, I mean, to treat your outside counsel, not as pure order takers, right? But bring them in as strategic advisors and get their take on how Microsoft can be uh, you know, even better operationally, right? I mean, in a lot of ways, they're the boots on the ground. Absolutely. We, we, we seek to partner. We do not seek to create supplier or vendor relationships with our outside counsel because we observe that when we treat our outside counsel as true partners, we get the best of them. We create an aspirational view on our work that causes them to bring their A team. It keeps them engaged and we just get more value and it's a richer experience for both of us. So it's, we, we try to, to, to walk the talk on this as much as we can. According to Jason, Microsoft holds their outside counsel to a very high standard, encouraging them to really think about Microsoft's business model. Next, Jason has some advice for law firms about how they should approach working with major corporations. One of the interesting patterns that I see is um, there's an interesting corollary to, to Microsoft's journey in how we used to sell things. Um, and, and I may ramble on this for a little bit, but when I think about the outside counsel that really, really serve us well, they're very empathetic to what we are trying to accomplish. And they focus their attention on understanding the problems that we are trying to solve. And if I'm honest, a lot of what I see is uh, a law firm that has an inventory in the form of wakeful human attention <laughs> and they want to sell it to me. Right. And, you know, I, that's, that's nice, but it, it's what I really enjoy is when they say, Hey, what are you trying to solve? What are you trying to accomplish? Hmm, I have an idea on how we could do that together. And it doesn't start off with, uh, well, I have these many uh, widgets, AKA associate hours that I need to, to get off the shelf. So can I just inject these somewhere for you? Right. The, right. the, uh, the other thing that, um, I think the folks who, who are really successful uh, with us do is they figure out how to differentiate their services from their competitors in a, a truly credible way. And so they bring a great value story. They bring a, people and a team that have a diversity of experiences and backgrounds that almost always deliver more creative solutions to us. And they demonstrate genuine innovation, which starts off with that you know curiosity of the bigger picture. Um, and those are the folks who, you know, when I, when I see them doing their work with us, they, they tend to distinguish themselves and it creates a virtuous cycle that tends to get them more work. The other side of that, I take it, is that a lot of Microsoft outside counsel 
has to up their game, right? I mean, they can't simply rely on, um, as you mentioned, a supplier, um, you know, vendor relationship. I mean, they really need to think through the business model of, of Microsoft. I mean, in that vein, um, and as a, an executive at Microsoft, um, who handles that law firm engagement strategy, what advice would you give outside counsel? And, and you know, not just something simple like, you know, communicate more or um, be reasonable in billing. But if you really had to drill down, uh, what are you seeing out there right now that is um, just not adequately being addressed by outside counsel? So we are going to be engaging ultimately in a, a Darwinian exercise, um, which is called business, right? Wherein we have things that we need to get done. And over time, you know, so, so we offer uh, opportunities to so many of our partners and it's ultimately on them to figure out how to deliver uh, the outcomes that we want in a competitive way. Now, having said that, absolutely, we do ask them to invest in themselves and to think about how they can integrate uh, technology to do what they do better. And one of the specific things that we're going to be doing in the next few months, uh, I still have to get it scheduled, is we're probably going to host a trusted advisor forum for many of our firms where we ask them to come to us and demonstrate things that they are doing that make their delivery of legal services to us more efficient and more effective. And it's not necessarily going to require a bunch of big, shiny AI robots, this and that. Really, the game is thinking about what are you doing that results in continuous improvement? And what are you doing that's making the processes that underpin the delivery of your services to us more efficient and more effective? And so we're going to ask our partners to come in and tell us their stories. And it doesn't have to be something that is necessarily apparent to us. It could be some templating engine that they use that's, that allows them to respond to a complaint really quickly and efficiently. And we may never see that, but my goal is to give them a platform and an opportunity to come in and show us what they're doing, even if that doesn't create an endpoint or an interface that we touch directly. So we're going to try to give them an opportunity to tell us a great story. And again, I suspect that the firms that come with really interesting and compelling narratives will get more work because it'll tell people on our side, hey, this is a partner who's really investing in themselves so that they can deliver better, more effective work to you. And so that seems like a really good choice when you're considering who you should work from work with among the many options that are available to you. Part of this is an innovation narrative. Microsoft is an innovative tech company, so they're looking for partners with the same mindset in the way they operate. I don't know that I'm proud of this, but, you know, we're all kind of tribal in as much as we have affinity for you know, organizations and people who care about the things that we care about. And I think that if your law firm is not interested in technology and innovation, it's going to be really hard for you to be fluent in, in our language and to be able to ask the questions that do you know, allow you to do our work very well. And so it's, it's certainly not impossible to, that to, to work with partners who 
you know, are not interested in technology and innovation. But I observe that those that have some affinity for that seem to stay engaged with us more effectively because they have people who actually care about what we're doing. Because in the end, it, you know, if, if we really boil down what a lot of legal services are, it and the thing that drives us, it's the desire to serve our client and our customers. And if you don't intrinsically value what your your clients are doing, then it's really hard to stay attached, engaged, and, and to keep thinking about how you can deliver more value. And so, again, I think this ends up being a, a virtuous cycle wherein the firms that seem genuinely interested in going after innovation also seem to be genu- genuinely interested in doing our work and doing it well. And they, over the, the long, long haul, get more of that work. I want to um, transition now to uh, another area where uh, I, I think you've advanced a lot of really interesting ideas and, and uh, responded to a lot of changes in the legal industry. And that's kind of in the arena of legal industry economics, and that's law firm economics, in-house counsel, spend economics, etc. One of the things across a lot of the conversations I have uh, with both senior partners at law firms and then administrators like chief knowledge officers, chief information officers, is the rise of legal services provided by big four accounting firms. When we mention the big four, we're referring to the four major global accounting firms that dominate the corporate accounting and auditing space. Ernst & Young, Deloitte, PricewaterhouseCoopers, and KPMG. And I know you've done a lot of thinking uh, about that. I want to ask just the the most blunt question. Uh, As big four uh, accounting firms rise and potentially take on more legal work uh, and try to get around some regulatory barricades that they've experienced in the past, should the AMLA 200 and, and on from there be worried? Yes, I, I think they should. And there's a few reasons. Um, so I find uh, so. So I, uh, my background, I, I started uh, life, uh, my professional life as an engineer, um, and then I, I became an attorney. And engineers start off with the view that hmm, things are probably similar, right? That there are they look for patterns, and they look for the patterns and then think about the difference that operates on top. And attorneys are a little bit different. They often try to distinguish everything and, and say like, ah, this is different from that. And, uh, you know, the, these things, they're not similar. Uh, and this is why they're distinguished. And part of that is because it's a helpful rhetorical uh, tool for, you know, doing legal work, really being having a very sharp knife that helps you cut the differences between things. But what I observe is that the mindset difference ends up you know, really impinging on how the, we think about value and improvement. And so when you think about where accounting come from, and they are now, you know, uh, hybrid accounting, consulting, legal is they're really good at spotting patterns. They're exquisite at that. And so when they think about delivering solutions, they often come up with ideas that really scale. And it's easy to think like, well, okay, that's fine. I will cede the most pedestrian work uh, to the accounting firms. Um, The challenge, though, is 
if you want to do strategic work, you typically still need some access to that that foundation layer work because so much of that ends up being the context for where the really interesting issues come from. And so what I observe is uh, the big four, they are patient and they are investing and they seem to be willing to play a very long game. The other thing that's really interesting to consider about them is in many instances, they already have access to knowledge about how many of us do business. They have access uh, through audit and accounting services. And so they see business processes um, that, you know, they already have access to and really, in many instances, uh, touch a compliance function, which then touches a legal function. And so when I think about the the moat uh, that domestic U.S. law firms are relying on, I worry that the moat is is <laughs> it's not as deep as people think that what we will see is, especially for larger companies like ours, where we have legal spend across the globe, we will partner with these these companies, uh, these these accounting firms to do our work and they will learn how to do our work well. And then if the regulatory mode ever tips over, then we get into a really interesting situation. So I, I do think they should be worried, but I also think that they have an amazing opportunity. So, you know, you can steal the playbook <laughs> if you're really willing to invest in, in yourself and thinking about how you can bring the process discipline that allows the big four to develop solutions and compete, you can do that as a firm. It's really interesting too, to think about how they actually deliver their value. So it's often the case that law firms operate in a way where a question goes into them and then they get some kind of, uh, you, you get some kind of response that comes back and then you know it's up to you to, you to operationalize it. The consulting uh, side of things is a slightly different solution and or a different scenario in that it often results in a solution that in many instances adds a new internal organ to the organism, right? And that is really sticky. And so if you're operating across, let's call it an API layer where I ask questions out to an external partner and I get my questions answered and they come back, that is easier to swap out than somebody who has basically thought about the real underlying root problem you're trying to solve by asking these questions and dropped a new process or solution inside your walls and is now operating that for you. That is really, really sticky. And the process of extirpating that, especially as, you know, all kinds of other functions start uh, building around that and rely upon it. That's a really interesting model. And so I'm, I'm constantly surprised that law firms don't start thinking more like that because I think it gives them access to, you know, revenue streams that look a lot like an uh, annuity. For several reasons that we'll get into, there is a world in which Jason can see himself leaning more on legal professionals at these big four accounting firms to work alongside law firms to ensure that Microsoft's big picture company needs are being met. And we already have some models that we are playing with internally that don't look radically dissimilar to that, where we've effectively created a, a captive legal process uh, organization internally that ends up being a hybrid of a law firm that really is the architect at the top of the, the pyramid. And then we have what is a, a, a more conventional uh, um, 
staff augmentation supplier that sits underneath. And we end up being what is effectively the consulting organization that helps stitch together the, the workflows and the processes. But it is very easy to imagine a world where that role is being done by one of the big four. And in fact, we do have a specific function uh, that we use for some international law localization where we have partnered with one of the big four and they're effectively running that uh, for us. And they're doing things that are interesting because they're not like a law firm. And so when we talk about them from day one, we say, so presumably you will get more efficient at this. So the per unit cost of what we're asking you to do should decrease, correct? And their, and their answer is absolutely. If you go to a law firm and you say like, hey, so we expect that uh, we're gonna pay less for this next year than we do this year, they usually don't have a very happy look on their face. And so we are already starting to play with these models to see what works for some of our, our legal needs that are originated outside the United States. Some of the fee structures that Microsoft and other large companies are exploring move away from the billable hour to billing that aligns the company and the law firm as partners, more so than service provider and client. I find it fascinating that the AMLA 200 has not gotten there yet, but uh, the uh, Microsoft VP and Deputy General Counsel David Howard released a memo that has gained a lot of fame, I think, especially in the AMLA 200 and the legal ops community. And fundamentally, what that was about was uh, Microsoft's intention to shift heavily to alternative fee arrangements. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the vast majority of these are going to be um, fixed fees set by phases, uh, fixed fees constrained by various other benchmarks, and uh, and things like that. And the, the, a quote I want to pull out of that, uh, this is actually from a New York Times article from August 3, 2017 is that quote, and this is a quote from David Howard, um, Microsoft is aiming to move 90% of the company's legal work to such arrangements within two years, he said in a phone interview this week. Right, Two years puts that out to uh, 2019. That seems like a dramatic shift. Absolutely. So David is the executive sponsor for our law firm engagement program, and he is a very deep thinker on these topics. And the thing that uh, we observe is that the billable hour is a shackle on innovation, innovation and efficiency. It just doesn't create room for our partners to think differently about how to do our work and change their service delivery because Again, it is something that causes them to make more money as they throw wakeful human attention at our problems, which is absolutely appropriate for some things. But the, the, we just don't think that it creates aligned incentives between us and our partners. And so moving to alternative fee models is just a start for us. And, and I will say that at Clock, I ended up talking about this quite a bit with people because we are trying to infect more of our peers with the idea that if you want elevated value, you need to move away from an incentive structure that cuts against that. But the other thing that's important to note is that the AFA is really just the starting place for this because 
if you go to your partners and say, I would like alternative fees, you know, they, they're, they will, first, you will probably have to ask. It is almost never the case that they will volunteer, but the place where they will start is, okay, sure. And what they will do is they will calculate the number of hours times their billable rate, and they will basically come back with a block billing number. So if you really want to unlock efficiency of, of the AFA approach, you start off with the AFA, but then you move to the next phase, which is, and, th and this was implicit in what David was saying, you want to scope your matters. You want to give your partners a clear view on what success looks like. This allows them to think deeply about what are the problems you're trying to solve? What are the things you care about? What are the things you don't care about? And it also ends up resulting in a much more deep conversation about what they're going to do for you. After you've scoped your matters, then you can start getting into other interesting questions about what kind of additional value attached can we use on this matter? Can I get some legal process management? Uh, can I get a secondment? There are things that our outside counsel can do for us that end up being beneficial for us and for them. But unfortunately, we typically have to be the ones who ask. And the last step is really after. So if you've gone through the, the process of, you know, thinking about your AFA, coming up with a really nice scope, thinking about what other features would be helpful for both you and your partner, it then gets easier to package that up and potentially bid that to multiple partners. Now, the one thing I will I will just warn folks on is don't turn it into a race to the bottom. So poor outcomes, cheaply delivered are not good value. So when you go through this discipline process of really thinking about what is my work, what is the shape of it, what are the features, then you start getting responses back based on that granularity that help you understand who's actually going to deliver success to you. And what we find is it's often not the party or the partner that is offering the lowest price because they are not the ones who are best suited to do the work. And their work plan will often show us that they don't have the talent, they don't have the experience, they don't have the resources. And so then we get into a tough spot where we have picked the, the what, what is the cheapest provider, but not the one that offers us the most value. And so we get, a, I think we get a lot of um, attention to our AFA work, but I, I would just encourage anybody who's thinking about this to think about the steps that follow that really bring the value. You start with AFA to unlock that value, but you have more work to do beyond that to get the highest value. The problem with the billable hour in Microsoft's view is that law firms often treat it as a unit that they need to move off their shelves rather than a means to solving a problem that plugs into Microsoft's bigger picture. Let's be clear, we, we are following in the footsteps of others. Um, we are not the first. And so a lot of what we are doing is informed by seeing success at our peers. And so when you go to a conference, you find out that many of the most forward thinking uh, legal departments are already far along on this journey. And so I think it would be uh, it would be a lie to say that we are the first to come through the door. We are following in the footsteps of, of other folks who've really figured some stuff out. That said, we are absolutely trying to influence the the industry and the market to move in this direction and ultimately i think it is an opportunity to make legal more relevant and so i realize that many of our many many of the law firms probably regard what you know this approach as something that is is not to their benefit but i think that's probably a short-term view 
Uh, Jason, I want to really thank you on behalf of, of Case Text, on behalf of the Modern Lawyer Podcast, for joining us and sharing a lot of your uh, your thought leadership on this and a lot of your, your uh, ideas on innovation in this space. This was an absolute pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Modern Lawyer Podcast. We always love hearing from you. Reach out to me at onan at casetext.com, tweet at us with the hashtag Modern Lawyer, and check us out at modernlawyerpodcast.com. We hope you join us for our next episode. Special thanks to the Case Text team, especially our producer extraordinaire, Abby Hadidian. See you soon.